Good evening and welcome to our Bible study this evening and we're going to continue in the book of Job and we're looking at Job chapter 34. So let's just read that passage together. Job 34. Hear my words, you wise men. Listen to me, you men of learning. For the ear tests words as the tongue tastes food. Let us discern for ourselves what is right. Let us learn together what is good. Job says, I am innocent. But God denies me justice. Although I am right, I am considered a liar. Although I am guiltless, his arrow inflicts an incurable wound. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water? He keeps company with evildoers. He associates with wicked men. For he says it profits a man nothing when he tries to please God. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty, for the Almighty to do wrong. He repays a man for what he has done. He brings upon him what his conduct deserves. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong. The Almighty would pervert justice, who appointed him over the earth, who put him in charge of the whole world. If it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, All mankind would perish together, and men would return to the dust. If you have understanding, hear this, listen to what I say. Can he who hates justice govern? Will you condemn the just and mighty one? Is he not the one who says to kings, you are worthless, and to nobles you are wicked? who sows no partiality, who shows no partiality to princes, and doesn't favour the rich over the poor, for they're all the work of his hands. They die in an instant, in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and they pass away. The mighty are removed without human hand. His eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their very their every step. There's no dark place, no deep shadow, where evildoers can hide. God has no need to examine men further, that they should come before him for judgment. Without inquiry, he shatters the mighty and sets up others in their place. Because he takes note of their deeds, he overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. He punishes them, for their wickedness, where everyone can see them. Because they are turned from following him, and had no regard for any of his ways. They caused the cry, they caused the cry of the poor come before him, so that he heard the cry of the needy. But if he remains silent, who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can see him? Yet he is over man and nation alike, to keep a godless man from ruling, from laying snares for the people. Suppose a man says to God, I am guilty, but will offend no more. Teach me what I cannot see. I have done no wrong, I will not do so again. Should God then reward you on your terms when you refuse to repent? You must decide, not I. So tell me what you know. Men of understanding, declare wise men who hear 
me say to me. Job speaks without knowledge. His words lack insight. Oh, that Job might be tested to the utmost for answering like a wicked man. To this, to his sin, he adds rebellion. Scornfully, he claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Well, we're going to look at that in a few moments. Quite a long passage and a lot for us to take in there. Let's just pray before we do that. Our Father, we do thank you again that we have the privilege to gather around your word. And our Father, we pray that you will just give us understanding that we might see and hear what is happening to Job and that we might look at what his friends are saying and that we might consider these things and from them we might learn more about you and also more about ourselves. So our Father, we just commit this short time into your hands and ask you to guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit and we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this passage, chapter 34, Elihu speaks to an audience. He's already spoken to Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. He has spoken to Job. And Elihu will now turn to those who have gathered to witness what is happening here. And when we come to verse 1 through to 15, Elihu, Elihu speaks to all who are present. And this is what we read. Then Elihu said, Hear my words, you wise men. Listen to me, you men of learning. For the ear tests words as tongues taste food. Let us discern for ourselves what is right. Let us learn together what is good. You see, he obviously has the attention of all those who are gathered round. And the way that he addresses them tells us that he considers himself to be wiser than all of them. And he doesn't just want them to listen. He wants them to ruminate on his words. And if they do, he's confident that they will see what is right and what is good. But firstly, he says to them, let me remind you of what Job has said. Even in those few verses that we've just read at the beginning of this chapter, you can, you can identify things that Job has said. But when we come to verse 5 through to 9, this is what Elihu says to these people gathered round. He says, Job says I'm innocent, but God denies me justice. Although I am right, I am considered a liar. Although I am guiltless, his arrow inflicts an incurable wound. And then he says, is there anyone like Job who drinks scorn like water? He keeps company with evildoers. He associates with the wicked. For he says... There is no profit in trying to please God. You see, by saying that he is innocent, Job is saying that God is unjust. This is what Elihu is explaining to these people as he tells them what he's heard Job say and what he's uh, decided about what Job is saying. He says, look, he's saying he's innocent. Therefore, he's saying that God is unjust. He's telling lies. And he's telling lies by saying that he's right. And then it's as though Elio says, and take a look at him. Look at the state of him. 
and then tell me that you think that he's guiltless, as he's claiming to be. And then he says, look, he has shunned the advice that has been given to him. He turns his back on God. And now that he's done that, he must class himself as being one of the wicked who say that there's nothing to be gained by trying to please God. And then he says, I, Eliam, will speak up in defense of God being a just God. So when we come to verse 10 through to 15, again, he says to these people, so listen to me. You men of understanding, far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their condition deserves. It's unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. Who appointed him over the earth? Who put him in charge of the whole world? If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to dust. So Elio is saying that Job is continuing to suffer and we can all see that and he's continuing to suffer because he has given up on God and he is accusing God of being an unjust God. So Elio, on the basis of that, will take a stance of defending God's justice. The trouble is that what he has to say might be right, but it doesn't apply to Job. That line that we read, it is unthinkable that God would do wrong. That is true. And the fact is that Job knows this. Not only does Job know this, Job believes this and Job trusts in this that it is unthinkable that God would do wrong and this is why he's struggling to understand how God could allow him to suffer he hasn't given up on God he's not questioning God's justice he just wants to know why these things are happening and he knows that he's not even thinking that God would do wrong okay during his suffering, he might be saying some things that he might later regret. But the very fact that he's struggling with these things tells us he hasn't given up. Tells us that he's still trusting in God. So we see that Elihu and the other Job's comforters and all those standing around are wrong. But Elihu, like um, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, don't understand what's happening. They don't understand why Job is suffering. So let's go to verse 16 through to 37, and we'll we'll just break this up into uh, smaller parts. But what Elihu will do now is going to speak to Job. Job who says, or he says, that Job has denied God, and that Job is denying that God is a just God. And when you come to the words of verse 16, they're quite ironic. Listen to what he says. Elihu says, If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Now, these are words of a man who thinks that he understands what is happening, when in truth, he doesn't understand what's happening. He turns to Job 
and speaks to him with strong words of accusation. He's virtually saying to Job, who do you think you are challenging God's justice and insisting that you are righteous? So in this little section, uh, verse 16 through to 37, let's just look at verse 17 through to 20, as Elio will speak about God. So let's read that together and see what we can learn. Remember, he's speaking about God. And he says, can someone who hates justice govern? Will you condemn the just and mighty one? Is he not the one who says to kings, you are worthless? And to nobles, you are wicked, who shows no partiality to princes and doesn't favor the rich over the poor, for they are all work in his hands. They die in an instant, in the middle of the night, the people are shaken and they pass away. The mighty are removed without human hand. So this is what Elio is saying here as he speaks about God. He says, if God was not a just God, he wouldn't be able to govern. If he wasn't a just God, he would lose his right to condemn and to pass sentence. God is above all authority. He is above corruption. And he will administer true justice in a fair way. What Elio is saying about God is true. But the assumption that he makes about Job is not true. He's saying that God is justified in causing Job to suffer and on the basis of Job's suffering, Job must be guilty. But Job is not guilty. And Job knows he's not guilty. And this is why he's struggling. You know, I, I want us to just stop for a few moments. And I want us to consider something. I want us to consider in the light of what we've been looking at here in chapter 34 of Job. But I want to refer to Matthew chapter 27. As he says in verse 39 through to 44. Now, you'll be familiar with these words, but just think about them and consider them. Matthew says, Those who passed by held insults on him, shaking their heads and saying, you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insult on him. You know, that's a familiar scene. It's the Easter scene, it's the crucifixion. It's as if those around the cross were saying, to them let's think first of all of the religious leaders you know the religious leaders were there amongst the crowd and as they stood and they looked 
They saw the sufferings of Jesus as being the evidence of a just God punishing a guilty sinner. That's what they thought they were looking at. And because of that, that would convince them that they, who had a low opinion of Jesus, were correct. And that in the eyes of God, they were right to condemn him. And then it's as if these religious leaders began to influence the people. And we're almost saying to the rest of the crowd who stood watching, go on, look at him. Take a good look and tell us that he's innocent. Is this how a just God would treat a righteous man, an innocent man? You know, because God is a just God, this is how the godless must be punished. But this statement, because God is a just God, this is how the godless must be punished, is true. But what they didn't realize was that Jesus was being punished by God for their sins and for our sins. And that this was the will of God because God is a just God. But he's also a gracious God. And they couldn't see that. He's a forgiving God. And they couldn't see that. And he's a loving God. A loving God who took the penalty for their wrongdoings and for our wrongdoings. And he took those sins upon himself. And that's why Jesus suffered. So as we consider that, let's go back to this chapter 34 of Job and let's look at verse 21 through to 30, back to what Elio has to say about God's justice. Verse 21 and 22. His eyes are on the ways of mortals. He sees their very steps. There is no deep shadow nor utter darkness where evildoers can hide. This is true. And you know, in a lot of ways, this is scary. Because God does see all. Then Elio goes on in verse 23. God has no need to examine men further. That they should come before him for judgment. This is because God not only sees all. He knows all. He knows the hidden desires of our hearts. He knows our minds. In verse 24 and 25, without equity, he shatters the mighty and sets up others in their place because he takes note of their deeds. He overthrows them in the night and they are crushed. You see, God is no respecter of persons. We're all the same in his sight. We were all guilty sinners. Verse 26, he punishes them for their wickedness where everyone can see them because they turned from following him and had no regard for any of his ways. This tells us that God will administer justice. 28 and 29. They caused the cry of the poor to come before him so that he heard the cry of the needy. But if he remains silent, who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can see him? Yet, he is over individual and nation alike. 
You see, God is a mighty God. And when he wants to speak, he will speak. And when he wants to remain silent, he will remain silent. Verse 30. To keep the godless from ruling, from laying snares for the people. This tells us that no matter how wicked this world is, God is in control. And God is in control here in this situation with Job as Job goes through this suffering. The people, his so-called friends, and those who have gathered around don't understand this and can't see it. And when we come to verse 31 through to 33, Elihu is saying to Job, you must repent. Now, in these verses, this is not a question. Elio is telling Job, this is what you must do. He says, suppose someone says to God, I'm guilty, but will offend no more. Teach me what I cannot see. If I have done wrong, I will not do so again. Should God then reward you in your terms when you refuse to repent? You must decide, not I. So tell me what you know. In other words, he's saying, do you think that God will tell you that you are right when you're wrong? You know, Job, you can't come to God on your terms. You're guilty. You're a guilty sinner, and the bottom line is you must repent. And he's saying to Job, Job, the ball is now in your court. It's up to you. And what will you do next? It's as though at this point, Elio will pause. He'll pause and wait, maybe look around and then look back to Job. He's waiting for a reaction from Job. And when he sees that Job shows no sign of repenting, does Elio then turn to those who are listening to him and then speak to them? Because in verse 34 through to 37, as we draw to a close this evening, he's saying, you who are listening, you know, you've got to agree with me. You've got to agree with what I'm saying. And I know you agree with me. So repeat these words after me. And he said this as he spoke to them. Men of understanding, declare Wise men who hear me, say to me. Job speaks without knowledge, his words lack insight. Oh, that Job might be tested for the utmost, for answering like a wicked man. To this sin he adds rebellion, scornfully he claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God, and it's almost... At the end of saying that, Elio says, do I hear an amen? What he's saying is, I can tell you that Job still doesn't know why he's suffering, but we do. He thinks that he has been saying, he thinks that he has been saying, the things that he's been saying make no sense. Unlike the words that I have been speaking. And as Job continues in his sin of accusing God of being unjust, may his suffering increase until he comes to his senses. 
stops and stops laughing in the face of God's judgment and admits to his crimes. You know, Elio has a lot more to say. It might be that he genuinely wants Job's suffering to end, but he doesn't know that Job's suffering will fulfill a much greater purpose, much greater than either he or Job could imagine. You know, it's a question as we finish tonight. Do the righteous at times suffer? And the answer is yes. Will the one who suffers ever know the reasons why they are suffering? And the answer is, not always. They might not know, at least not this side of glory. But what do we all need to see this evening? What we need to know is, why did Jesus suffer? And the answer is, that he suffered in our place so that we would not suffer God's judgment. And the question now is, do we understand this? And if we do, have we put our trust and faith in the one who suffered on the cross for our sins? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you that as we look at this passage of Joel, we, we learn many things. One of the things we learn is that we can see you. Our Father, we just pray that you will give us understanding. And our Father, we pray for those who might be suffering at this time, not knowing why. But our Father, we pray that they might remain faithful to you and that you will be there to comfort them. And for those of us who are not suffering when we meet others who are suffering. We pray that we might put aside our wisdom and might draw upon the wisdom that comes from you. And our Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.